0: of heights to the depths of the sea and they hung their bodies there on the wall and these men these faithful men said we can't stand for that for what he did and how he helped us and how our lives are inextricably woven together we will not have that we're going to go take his bodies down their bodies and he brought them back and they crossed over the Jordan River going eastward and then finally another 10 or 15 miles into the into Jabesh and they buried the bones there by a tamarisk tree
1: Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. After Saul and his sons were slain, the Philistines hung their bodies on a wall to display them. The scripture says all the valiant men arose. In this time of disgrace, loss, and tragedy, God still had valiant men to do his work. The men of Jabesh Gilead took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from their place of humiliation and gave them a proper burial. When one servant passes the scene, another arises to take his place. After Saul was gone, God raised up David. If the army of Israel was utterly defeated, God still had his valiant men. God's work is bigger than any man or any group of people. Now here's Pastor Rob.
0: And they cut off his head and they stripped off his armor and they sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. You know, it's interesting to note that David, remember, had cut off the head of Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, and now the Philistines cut off Saul's head, who was the leader of Israel. It's kind of interesting how the tables turn here. And then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreth, these female deities of of, um, um, fertility goddesses. And they fastened, notice his body, to the wall of Beth-shan. And you might want to put in your margin of your Bible 1 Chronicles 10. First Chronicles 10 actually is pretty much verbatim to what we are reading here. But there's a few details that are left out. Because notice... They they put his armor in the temple of the Asteras, and then they fasten his body and his son's bodies to the wall of Beshan. And First Chronicles pretty much tells the same uh, event, but it doesn't mention this part about the bodies being pinned to the wall. And it was just an omission. It's not a really big deal. But I think it's really interesting that at the end of Chronicles 10, in verse 13 and 14, it gives really there a understanding of of why Saul's life ended. And it tells us very clearly there, 1 Chronicles 10, 13, and 14. These are two verses you might want to put a star by or whatever. But it says, Saul died, notice, for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord. The wages of sin is death, isn't it? That's why he died, because of his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against Jehovah, because, notice, Specifically, he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord, and therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. David, the son of Jesse. Now, when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, and all the valiant men arose and traveled all night, Because Jabesh Gilead remembers about 10 or 15 miles to the west of the Jordan River, to the east, I'm sorry, of the Jordan River. So they would cross the river and then go up, up north a little bit, and they would get into Bethshan, which is one of 10 cities called the Decapolis. They were Roman colonies, Roman cities. And Bethshan, it's also called Scythopolis, it was the only city, Bethshan, was the only city that was on the west side of the Jordan River. All the other nine cities were on the other side of the Jordan River, and the land you would call, you know, Jordan, Syria, and that area. And so, all the valiant men arose, and they traveled all night. They took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall at Bethshan, Shan. And they came to Jabesh, and they burned them there. We'll find out later on when we get into 2 Samuel that David, after they had burned the bodies and they buried them under a tamarisk tree, we find that David later, after he comes into his own kingdom, he admonishes the, the men of Jabesh for the kindness that they did. But then he takes the bones uh, of Saul and Jonathan and his sons, and he brings them back to Benjamin, and he buries them in Benjamin where Saul was born, along with Jonathan and his his sons. We don't have time tonight, but I want you to look at a couple of things, because these men of Jabesh Gilead, there's a history here that's really interesting, and it would take us another 30 minutes, I think, to really kind of tell the story so what I want you to do, what I'd like you to do, is to look at a couple passages. The first one is in First Samuel chapter 11. If you want to write at this moment in your Bible, just write First Samuel 11. Read that whole chapter because that was Saul's, one of his first campaigns as king is to save the men of Jabesh-Gilead from the Ammonites who were attacking them. But the people of Jabesh-Gilead and Benjamin had a really unique relationship, and that relationship is really brought out for us if you look at uh, Judges chapters 19 through 21. If you look at those three chapters, it puts into very clear understanding of why there was this affinity, this friendship between jabesh and Saul, or or the tribe of Benjamin. It's a really interesting thing, and, and we don't have time to go into it, but I would encourage you to read it, because it'll make this passage really come to life, and you'll understand the, the camaraderie, the, the love, the honor that was there, and why it was there, because that's important, because, again, these things aren't just stories, folks. You know, when we read this, you know, people talk about David and Goliath and Jonah and the whale, and they talk, oh, these are great children's stories, you know, and they have some, you know, um, moral, you know, lessons in them. Uh, but it's, it's more than that. These are real things. And God wants you to take them seriously, because just like when we read in the book of Acts, what we read in Jonah and what we read at David and Goliath, these things really happen if you go to Israel with us, we go right to the Valley of Elah where that battle occurred between David. And you'll look at the mountains on each side and you'll picture it in your head. And it's amazing to be there and to see and imagine what happened right there where you're standing as we're reading that passage. And you're right there. And if you could just fast forward a couple thousand years, about 3,000 years, you would see the men on the battlefield and David out there, a young strapling with a... With a, with a <laughs> You know, a sling and Goliath looming over him, casting a shadow over David. So, verse 13, notice what happened. Then they took their bones, and they buried them under the Tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. And so this is what the men of Jabesh-Gilead did once they found out that the Philistines had killed Saul and his sons, And after they had um, really paraded their bodies around, such mutilating them and hanging them on the wall at Beth shan that's another place we visit when we go to Israel, and they hung their bodies there on the wall. And these men, these faithful men, said, we can't stand for that, for what he did and how he helped us and how our lives are inextricably woven together. We will not have that. We're going to go take his bodies down their bodies, and they brought them back, and they crossed over the Jordan River going eastward, and then finally another 10 or 15 miles into, the, into Jabesh, and they buried the bones there by a tamarisk tree. So we read about this ending of Saul's life, and I just want to turn it around here, because for us to end this tonight just on this very minor chord <laughs> would be Criminal. But how about you? How about you? Do you want to live a life like that of Saul that has a question mark over it? Because we don't know. I mean, you, you can talk to a, 10 different pastors, and uh, you might get 10 different answers about where Saul is and, and what, what really what his character was. And actually, most of them might agree together, actually. Maybe a few would have a different opinion But do you want to have a question mark over your life? Or do you want a life that is secured, that is assured, that is confirmed? Because, folks, you and I, as believers in Christ, we can have that assurance. If you don't have that assurance... Come up and pray, i'd love to pray with you. Pray with somebody else you don 't need me, but let 's pray about that if you don 't have an assurance because it 's important that you do. Saul never had that assurance because of his rebellion. You see the longer we play footloose and fancy free with sin, the less likely we 're going to have that kind of assurance that we 're really one of his, and it 's supposed to be that way i mean you 're not're you're not i mean it is true that you you know we can have assurance of salvation but when we start flirting around with sin the devil whispers in your ear and we believe him don't we we believe him when he says oh you're not one of his even though you may even though you are and maybe you are but maybe you've also been playing games and you really aren't i'm it's not for me to judge that so why have the question mark why go through your life with the question mark make your calling and your election sure what kind of life are you leading what is the overall tenor of your life is it one of obedience to god is it one marked by what we read in galatians chapter 5 verse 22 is it one marked by love joy and peace and you know, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is our life marked by that? Are those hallmarks in our life, those characteristics of Christ in us? Are those things coming out, or are we just stifling it down and, and not doing anything with it? See, Saul never had, he, he never did that. He never had, he, he just continued to go downhill, continued to go downhill. And we looked at the ten low lights of his life. Not the highlights, the low lights. We looked at this. Why would you want to live a life like that? Why would you want to be a Samson, even though he evidently made it to heaven by by, by God's grace? Why would you want to be a lot back in Genesis 19 and 20? Why would you want to live a life compromised? Sell yourself out to Jesus Christ. Totally sell out to him. Give everything in your heart to Him. Don't hold anything back. Put away all of the stuff and get on our knees and on our faces and confess our sin and say, God, forgive me. I have been playing games with you, Lord. You know there's things in my life that I've been, I've been hiding from everybody, but I can't hide from you. I can't hide from you, Lord. I don't want to hide anymore. Do you ever get tired of hiding? Does anybody here like to hide in the shadows? Do you know the dark and the light are the same with God? You know we somehow think oh, if I turn off the light, nobody can see me. Ah, I can meet in the back alley and do these the dark things, and God doesn't see me. He's like, oh, I can see you even better when the dark, in the darkness. I dwell in darkness. I dwell in the light. They're both the same to me. But are our lives marked like that. Do we have the fragrance of Christ? I love what Paul says to the Corinthians in his second letter in chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. He says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ, among those who are being saved and among those who... Who are perishing? To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Does your life have the fragrance or the aroma of Jesus on it? When you walk into a room of people that know you, do they have an expectation of how you're going to be, the things that you're going to say? Do they have an expectation? Should they have an expectation? Certainly they should. Should you walk into a room of Christians and, and, and should, should they expect to hear good things coming from us? Should they hear hearts that are really investing in one another? Or should they, be, uh, should they be expecting us to tell the dirty joke or to use filthy language? What is the expectation? Do we want to be like a Saul and have the question mark? I ask you again, because for us to end this tonight on just his lowlights of his life without examining our own life, would be criminal. Does your life have the fragrance of Christ about it? Do people know when you walk into a room, they can expect what demeanor you're going to have, what you might say, what you might say? Do you have the fragrance of Christ about us? Or are we compromised so that those who know us are comfortable swearing or telling off-color jokes around us, knowing that we might and probably will laugh along with the rest of them? Can they expect that? But what does Paul tell the Colossians, and the Holy Spirit is telling us tonight? But now you, yourselves, are to put off all these things. Christians, us, the family of God, the one whom Jesus loves. And you know what? I've got to tell you, he loves you. You know, the fact that you're here tonight and you've been coming. You came to hear the word of God. And you're not going to leave empty. Because we have been in the word of God. And he loves you. And you know, he loves us enough to tell us the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? I very rarely learn anything when everything is going really well. But when I go through and I'm challenged and I walk away in tears with my tail between my legs... It's when I go back to my room and I cry, and the Lord restores me. See, he loves us enough to tell us the truth, to tell us the hard things. We are to put off these things, the anger, the wrath, the blasphemy, the filthy language out of our mouth. What does he, Peter tell us in Second Peter? He says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, if you have uh, self-control and, and you, know, uh, you persevere, If you have these things, you will never stumble. Ending now in Exodus chapter 28, there's a wonderful thing that the high priest would wear on his head. Exodus 28 verse 36, it's speaking of the words that are engraved on Aaron's turban. Aaron being the high priest, he would have a turban on his head. And what would happen, and it says in verse 36, you shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet. So it would be in in some kind of really elaborate script in the Hebrew, and it would say this in all caps, holiness to the Lord. And it would be right on his forehead. What is the forehead to us? It's our thought life. And holiness is being separate from the world. Separated from something and separated unto someone. Separated from the world, but separated unto Christ, unto God. Do we have, like Aaron the high priest of the Old Testament, the words emblazoned on our forehead that says, Holiness to the Lord. Am I careful about the things I bring into this noggin of mine? Am I careful about the things that I watch, the things that I hear, the things that I see? Am I separated unto him, and I know that you all are. And you know what? I want to encourage you to continue in that. Continue in it. Continue in the love of God. His love is so wonderful, isn't it? He wants to love you more than you can possibly imagine. And he's not angry with you. If you are in Christ, the enmity is past. He is placed upon Christ. That's what makes his atonement on the cross so special for us. Do you know that? Do you believe it? How do you want to be known when you die, should the Lord tarry? Next week, we're going to look at the first chapter in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel and there is a song that David wrote a song of lament for Saul and his sons, so sp- specifically Jonathan Saul and Jonathan we're going to look at that psalm or that song that David wrote but what would people say about you how do you want to be known if the lord tarries and we pass from the scene and it's up to you tonight to make that decision right now going forward how do i want to be I want to read to you the lyrics of a song, and after we're done tonight, I've asked um, Mark to play the song as you're, you know, talking and stuff like that, but here's the lyrics of the song, and, and when you hear it, it'll make total sense. It's a song that my wife actually brought to my attention when we were just friends. We're still friends, by the way. We're best friends. We're married. We're good. Everything's good. But when yeah, back in those days when we were friends, you know, not you know she had the C D, it was by Jeff Moore in the distance, and it was called Evolution. Not what you think it is. But one of the songs on that C D was Live to Tell, and I'd like to read them to you because I think this is perfect how we end this tonight because of the way Saul's life ended and how the exhortation that I just gave you, it says, We've all heard it said that actions speak louder than words. And love that is seen means much more than love that's just heard. That's the way that it was with our Savior whose life told the story of love. Someone was watching, someone was listening, dying to know what he knew so well It helped them believe it if they could just see it. That's why Jesus lived to tell. Now this is my prayer, Lord, help me live what I say. For so many times I know that my actions betray. Let it be like it was with my Savior. Let my life tell his story of love. Because someone is watching and someone is listening, dying to know what we knew so well It will help them believe it if in us they see it. That's why we must live. And I will live to tell of the one who has rescued my heart. I will live to tell of the one who can bring a new start. Take my life and let it be a reflection of you for the whole world to see. The God who is alive and well. I will live to tell. Someone is watching. Someone is listening. Could be your neighbor, your brother, your friend. It will help them believe it. If in you they see him, so what will you do? Pretty good song. That's the way we want to live. We want to live to tell. I don't want to live my life like a Saul. Right? Do you? We want to live for Christ. Amen? Why don't we stand? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the warnings that we read here, Lord, in in this last chapter of Samuel. Lord, we pray that we would learn the lessons and continue to learn the lessons and hopefully learn the lesson, lessons. Lord, that our life would be something that the world could look at and and say, I want that, I desire that, I don't have it, and I know that it's right. There's something about the fragrance of your life that I just... I don't have and I need it. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you burn that into us? Would you make us those that fragrance of Christ in a world that is dying, that smells of myrrh, Lord, where the smell of death is all around and yet you've given us the great fragrance of Jesus Christ. Only the children of God can claim that. Lord, how we pray you bless us, encourage us. Lord, help us not to feel... Um, condemned by anything but lord convicted is okay but not condemned lord would you please touch our lives tonight and set us on a new course tomorrow morning as we wake as we wake and and get into your word as we draw close to you lord continue to do that lord that we could live to tell in jesus name
1: That brings our program and the book of 1 Samuel to an end. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob begins a new study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585.